Sometimes people tell me, oh, I feel depressed. I feel unhappy. It's a dick thing to think or say, but like, I just think in my mind, like, are you exercising? Are you eating well? And are you sleeping? If the answer is yes to all of those, then I would say like, okay, great. Like, let's, let's discuss next things. Like, but if the answer is no to any of those, I would just say, just start there. I do think that's like the foundational start. What is up, you sexy bastards? It is your boy, Banana Smoothie, aka Rabbi Can't Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to my super impressive and amazing friend, Eric Alabest. He is the co-founder and CEO of Chess.com. Eric didn't start out as a chess prodigy or anything like that. He actually started out teaching chess in the Bay Area, and that turned into him actually selling chess boards, and then turned into creating Chess.com, which is the number one chess-related site in the world, with over 50 million members, 8 million games. I think they have over 100 people working there. I got to meet him in the Bay Area. We love playing disc golf together, and he is such a fascinating, great person. If you've ever want to learn about the best way to start taking action and the components of having a great day, you're going to love this episode. In this conversation, there's three gigantic things. Number one, the importance of suffering sometimes, but not every day. Number two, why don't need a grand vision to succeed? And three, how Twitch and Queen's Gambit made chess cool again. I think you all know that. Enjoy those three things, plus a bunch more ear nuggets along the way. Now, before we dive into the show, make sure you check out AppSumo.com. We are giving away an entire $1 million Black Friday marketing fund to you. Have an ebook, an online course template, or any other digital product or software? Here's exactly how you can cash in. The first 400 products to go live on AppSumo are going to receive $1,000. The next 2,000 are going to get $250. And then everyone is entered to be one of the 10 lucky winners of $10,000. So, so hold on, let me get this right. We are paying them to then promote them to the audience and then help them start and grow their businesses? Yes, it's real. That's appsumo.com slash BFF to start today or go tell one of your friends. appsumo.com slash BFF. Also, special pre-show shout out to listener Fishmajja of USA. That's FSJMJ. I'm guessing it's initials. They left review saying the real deal. Noah's awesome. He has helped me see ways to show up as a more powerful leader in my business. Subscribe to the show right away. Damn, man. Thank you. I appreciate you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. You know what to do. Leave a review anywhere and I'll shut you out in a future episode. What's a pretty good day look like for Eric Alabest? Is it what if your name was Eric Alagood? Do you ever think about how different your life would be? It's funny. I in junior high, they would tease me and call me Allah Average, which was I thought was pretty funny. So, or all the worst. I'd get all sorts of them, but I'm happy to be the best. I mean, but I'm not, but it's a great last name. But you are. Uh, a good day for me is drama that I can maybe handle and lots of product work and maybe throw some discs later and then hang out with the family. What a day. Actually... It's funny we asked that. Yesterday I had a be- I had like a best day ever. Okay. I just had like a solid day and I wrote down I was like what made yesterday so damn good? Okay. Do you want to hear? There's 12 yeah. things. Yeah, yeah, I want to know. Physical fitness every day. Flirting. Weather. Yeah. Learning something. Connecting with someone? Definitely. Forward action. Work positive, so something work positive, relaxation, recharge. Yeah eating yes kind to myself hmm. creation and then some mystery or magic i love that that's like a formula if you could do that every day why not that's that's, that's it winning. why do we make it so hard eric uh because we're told a bunch of things that by a bunch of people about how life's supposed to be different from that lots of institutions telling us we're not good enough lots of institutions telling us all sorts of messages because they have something to sell. 
I feel like, honestly, Eric, every time I hang out there, I do think you're living probably one of the top 10 lives of people I know. No, I'm serious, man. Like, I feel like, you know, I talked about my perfect day. That's like once in a lifetime for me that day. <laughs> but I feel like your days are pretty solid, my man. I, I'd love a little bit of wisdom or guidance about how you're able to do that. And did you, did you vision this or did it just happen? I have a great life. It's not perfect, but I do do the healthy things. And I have a healthy amount of skepticism for what, I'm, what other people are trying to tell me to do. So maybe that's just a lucky thing. I got a lot of good habits and things from my dad and my mom and my family. And growing up in a community that had positive habits, even if there were some downsides in a spiritual community. I'll be honest, discovering fitness was like a major part of my thing and changed my outlook overall about life. It made me prioritize working out. It also made me prioritize sleep and it made me prioritize eating. Those three things right there were foundational for me. I also got married to my best friend early on and we've had a great marriage. So that helped out, got lucky on that. I also got lucky to work in a company that is in an area of passion. So it's stressful sometimes, but it doesn't feel like work. So I don't know, man. I just feel really lucky. I don't know if there's wisdom in there other than get be lucky, but sure. I like asking people that question if they feel like they're lucky. It's actually really interesting to see how people respond. Yeah. I think saying you're lucky is really just saying that you're an optimistic person in the sense that you're looking at like, I'm sure you've probably had equivalent problems of anyone, but it's just you're like, well, pretty lucky. And you're looking at that positive and you're looking at the solutions of things you can solve with these things. Yeah, although I would say not equivalent problems to anyone, like not equivalent at all. Some people's problems are brought on by choices, but a lot are not. Health problems, how you grew up, relationships sometimes outside of your control, uh, your level of education, even the things that you maybe ate or did for the first 15 years of your life before you knew anything can be really impactful. So I would say I've not had an equal share. I've had a very easy life. I grew up upper middle class with an entrepreneurial father. And like I had all the cards were stacked in my favor. So I've been fortunate to take advantage of those and want to turn around and help a lot of people who don't have those advantages, but uh, definitely not equal, equally uh, difficult life. And humble. <laughs> what do you think are some of the good habits you have? So I think, you know, I have a, one of my best friends. Oh, Southwell. We played disc golf together. That's right. He has the three C's of life. It's Good sleep, meeting with a friend, like good connection, and then some physical fitness. And he's like, if you can get those three C's, they're not all C's. I don't know why he calls them the three C's. He's like, if you can get the three C's a day, sleep, connection, activity, it's a great day. I'm fully on board with that. And I agree. I, we're, I have worked out every single day, except for Sundays, for more than 10 years without missing a day. And that has been the foundation of my life. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I work with friends at work. My kids and my wife are friends, and I have a huge pool of friends. So I'm very fortunate to have friends all the time. And then sleep, absolutely. I don't understand how we got societally in this like badge of honor of like, oh, I didn't sleep at all last night. That's so great. Like, it's so dumb. It's so bad for you. Sleep's a huge priority. The thing that I was curious about is when do you spend time alone? Like, what do you do with that? Because the reason I asked that is I, I, one of my thoughts is in October just to not date anyone. Mm. just to have more time for myself. I think that's a need of yours. That sounds great. And again, you might, and I might be in different places. I don't need a lot of alone time as a person. So it's not a, it's not a drive for me. I don't know. It's cool. How do we, one thing I'm always fascinated is like, how do people learn themselves? I know you've been living it for 40 plus years. 
40 plus. Oh yeah. I don't know. I think as people get older, don't you feel like you also are understanding yourself better every year and it's excel at an accelerating pace? Maybe that's. Yes. Yes. I think that's what wisdom is. I guess. But there's still things I'm figuring out or I feel like I don't know, but maybe I know and I'm just not willing to accept. (laughs) Maybe, maybe also. That's, I like that workout thing, man. It's, it's funny. It's the fundamentals. I, I know one of the things with business and life and all this stuff where, you know, we're looking for different tricks and hacks and everything. And at the end of the day, it's like, do something for a long period of time. And to your point, also find something that you also want to do for a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, what other good habits can you encourage people to do? Like, I've, I haven't been drinking for five months. Yeah. Dude, it's like, uh, I see why you do it. The not drinking. I thing. saw your video on that, actually. Um, yeah. No criticism of people who do, but. I really like not drinking. So <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And people might say, oh, you don't know because you never have. But okay, maybe. But I get to see a lot of people do. It's not, doesn't appeal to me in any way. There's this big concert coming up, if I'm honest with you. Uh, it's called ACL. It's like all these bands and everyone's texting. You're going, you're going, he's going, I'm going. And I, I honestly, I've been like, man, I want to drink. I haven't really thought through it that deeply. But it's like, it's something lately. I'm like, oh, man, everyone's going to be having fun. It won't be as much fun for me sober. Hit a hit a five hour energy drink like right before. <laughs> that would be my alternative to that. <laughs> Dude, pound a chocolate chip cookie, double chipped, and just let it ride. <laughs> I will say one of the benefits of not drinking is you just get jacked. It's just like and then you can eat cookies, dude. And I'm just like, life's so good. Yeah. Well, yeah, you and I have worked out a couple times together. I know yeah. it's a big part of your life. Um, yeah. Sometimes people tell me. Oh, I feel depressed. I feel unhappy. It's a dick thing to think or say, but like, I just think in my mind, like, are you exercising? Are you eating well? And are you sleeping? If the answer is yes to all of those, then I would say like, okay, great. Like, let's, let's discuss next things. Like, but if the answer is no to any of those, I would just say, just start there. That's the easiest, just start there. And I know there are medical reasons and other things that might make that challenging for people. And I don't want to be dismissive of that, but I do think that's like the foundational start. I love how straightforward that is. I keep thinking like I'm reading David Goggins book. Yeah. What do you think of that? I mean, the system that works for him and he's a kind of person who works for a certain personality type. And that's great. That's very PC way of saying it. Well, I don't think everybody should everybody's life motto should be like, get hard and suffer. It's just, if, if that's the solution, some people are just going to crumple at the start. Uh, so anyway, I do think it's for some people though. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. No, I, I think the message is good because you do think, like I worked out yesterday and I thought about it. I was like, David would have done a hundred times more than what you did. <laughs> and then he'd laugh at you while he did it. And, um, but I don't know if it works for, I think you're, you're right on. It's like, I'm not sure that works for everyone. It makes it feel like, you're never good enough or you can go harder. It's like, can I enjoy any of this? It's like, no. And I think it's really important to find balance in there. Like in my own exercise, there are days where I will work out for intentionally to suffer for mental, for mental strengthening, but you can't do that every day. And then there's other days I'm working out for cardio and I go on a run and I want to enjoy it. Other days it's for just being limber and for lubricating the joints and doing all those good things other days for building strength but i think it's important to suffer sometimes because you teach yourself that you can and that you'll be okay after you do but not every day i did this workout it's a cross workout called karen where you do like 150 wall balls as fast as you can uh, and that was two days ago and i'm still having trouble going up and down stairs so that was a mistake 
And, uh, you know, sometimes you go a little bit, a little bit too much. Hold on, I'm looking up what Karen is. So you do wall balls? Yeah, you take a 20-pound med ball, and you have to squat and then throw it 10 feet in the air, catch it, squat, throw it 10 feet in the air. You do 150 of those as fast as you can. And that is that you're still jacked two days later? I'm still wrecked. Because I haven't been doing enough squatting lately, and I knew that going into it, but I was like, I need to teach myself to get back into doing more squatting. So I'll punish myself and then I'll be like, all right, fine. I'll do more. Anyway, all right. that was maybe too, too much information, but. No, I love it. I could spend the whole, honestly, it's, it's our show. We could do whatever we want. <laughs> okay. Uh, is there any other like suffer workouts you can recommend? Cause I'm going to put this Karen one on my list. Do you have an assault bike? Yes. I just got one. I don't know how yours does, but okay. An absolute, a workout that made me feel like I needed therapy at the end. <laughs> was like I needed to go see someone after I was like falling apart was a death by calories in the first minute you do two calories did we go up by one calorie we go up by two calories I think we went up by two calories so you do two calories then four calories then six then eight then ten so you go up by two calories every minute and you try to get it as far as you can um finishing 20 calories at the end was was a tough minute of my life dude we did the push-up thing I don't remember that. That was kind of the same death by push-up. Death by push-ups is a great workout, but like your body fatigues out, then that's okay. But death by death by calories go by two on an assault bike will put you in a in a mental state more than a physical state. I've been programming workouts on Wednesdays. I call them warrior workouts. Like just different friends go over to my house. When I when next time I see you, we'll we'll do one of them. Yeah. But this one that was like people's favorite. It was twenty thousand meters on the assault bike, but Everyone had to contribute to it. So while yeah, I was yeah. doing it, everyone else was in other stations. And then when I was done, we would all rotate. At about 8,000 meters, I was like, eh, maybe I'll just change it to 10,000. 10,000 is good enough. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a good day. And it was one of these things where I was like, what would Eric Alibes do? He's like, he'd probably triple it to 30. <laughs> no, no, no. no, I like that. I agree with you that like sometimes you set a goal. And then if you're in the middle and you want to cut it back, that's a great time to Sometimes I guess do it if you need to, but I agree that like then doing something you don't want to do is just an important part of life. I try to teach my kids that is that doing stuff you don't want to do is a really important part of life. It's interesting about using the judgment there. So like, how do you figure out what stuff you shouldn't do and what stuff you, you should be doing? That's the wisdom part you talked about. I am getting older and as I'm getting older, I do find that my goals change a little bit around health and longevity versus like absolute get wrecked which was a little bit more when i was younger i'm trying to listen to my body more and i don't like having to do that but i also do think that's important transition but i'm not happy about it yeah i was i had a joke yesterday with the buddy where like there's all these trackers like sleep trackers and fitness trackers and food trackers and it's like you can also just listen to yourself <laughs> like if you're tired probably means you need to sleep more you don't need a, a thing to tell you yeah. but it is kind of cool to have the data yeah, that's true. What other wisdom have you learned over the as you've gotten in your 30s and 40s? So do some of the suffering. I love that, man. I think that's a great one. I think the second one you called out, which is beautiful, you know, is you've worked out six days a week for 10 years. So there's something about that, that consistency and putting in the work that also provides a great foundation for the rest of the day. It does. And the other thing I'll say is like, when you do something consistently for a long time, you also learn that you can do that your life is in your control. Like when you are traveling, and this is me recently, like, and you have a layover at an airport in Istanbul, and it's your only window to work out, and then you just find a place and embarrassingly do it in the corner, 
like you just realize how in control of your own life you are. I think that's an important learning is that life is what you're taking and what you want and take out of it rather than life happening to you. And well, I can't do this because of this. And I can't do this because of this. When the reality is you can do and make your life pretty much whatever you want if you have the drive to do that. And I tell that to my kids, like, don't let life happen to you. Like you go make life. So I think that's one learning from that. Another thing I'll say is just, like you said, knowing yourself is one thing. I think just being comfortable with yourself is another thing. I think the amount of messaging people get about not being good enough or not being pretty enough or not being this enough or not being that enough, like there's so much media messaging and, and, and all advertising is based around some kind of insecurity around not being enough or needing something or creating a deficit that you have to fill with their product or something. And just kind of calling bullshit on all that and self-acceptance is a really big thing. And I think it's hard. And I do think that social media has made self-acceptance in some ways a little easier, but on the whole, probably harder because you're seeing everybody else's. Generally, you see the most talented people, you see the most beautiful people, you see the most wealthy people, you see the most this people. When, you know, when I was growing up, you didn't even know about those people. You were good at some things and bad at some things. But now everybody you see on social media is so good at something. You know, there's someone doing triple backflips and there's someone else writing a song that's just unbelievable. And there's someone else who's, you know, doing all these things. And, and so it just makes you picture that your life is so extremely inadequate. And I don't really know how societally we're going to pull out of that nosedive. You know, plastic surgery is on the rise because people are more and more seeing visual images of whatever. And I think just insecurity is on the rise and self-acceptance is, is on, on the decline. I worry about that. It's like, I was never going to be a six foot six black guy like Michael Jordan. I was like, probably not going to happen when we were kids. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but now there's like some Jewish CrossFitter who's doing crazy stuff that I could have, you know. Yeah. You, but you're you and you're great. Like self-acceptance is great. I think acceptance, it's so funny. Some of the, the phrases we have nowadays, like self-love, acceptance, be kind. Yeah. I think it's harder and easier than it should be. Say more. Like easier in the sense of just like, hey, just be nice to yourself and like yourself. And hey, you're not like, you're not that. That's okay too. But I, I don't know if it is an external thing or just the generation we're in or wherever that is. But if it does feel like a lot of my days, I'm like having to actually be intentionally to be kind to myself. Hmm. And maybe that's just a personality trait. It could be. And also just accepting some of these other traits too. Yeah. I wonder about that. I wonder how much of that is personality driven versus circumstantial or who you're surrounded with or what your parents told you. I don't know. Nature, nurture, such a hard question. Live, die. Just try to enjoy the ride. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I think about lately. Like I had, a, I was meeting with my financial manager guy. He's like, how do you want to do your tax stuff? And I was like, honestly, dude, I don't care. Yeah. All right. So I have a few more shekels in the bank. Like yeah. for what? I can get an extra like Diet Coke. I mean, not to boohoo being well, but it's just like, oh, what? Like, you know, trying to be intentional about how we live this life. Do you, as you're living, Eric, do you try to vision stuff? Like, did you vision like this chess.com being big? Did you vision like doing this work? Did you just be like, hey, I'm focused on the fundamentals? Like, how do I guess how have you approached that? Because that's something I, I'm kind of revisiting lately, especially with like dating. And, you know, I've been back running AppSumo, trying to think more through that. That's a really good question. And I think it works differently for different people. I'm very much like a next monkey bar person. Like, I will very quickly glance where I'm going and see that. And then I'm very focused on like the next monkey bar and the next one, and the next one. That said, that worked really well for me 
in my company for a certain period of time. And then at some point that did start to fall apart a little bit and I needed to get a little bit longer and I needed to create an organization that was a little bit less reliant on everybody next monkey barring and having a little bit better planning and coordination and like a little bit more vision. But I think a lot of times people get, they see the far vision and it feels so daunting that they just don't start the, the next monkey bar or start the immediate steps. But I'm very much immediate steps. Like if, when, if you tell someone like, hey man, you're gonna have to work out every day for 10 years. Ah, it feels so hard. But it's like, no, no, right now you just have to put your shoes on and get in the car. Like that's so just next steps, small steps. That is true. How, how, well, we'll get into the business stuff in just a moment. Yeah. I also think one of the things that you kind of sparked a reminder in is your story. And I think your story is like a classic example of a lot of people who are, I like to call sideliners where they watch YouTube, or they read the book, or they have a job, but they don't like their job. And they're like, yo, I want to get the hell out of here. And it's like, but I don't got a good idea. And I think what I admire about your journey, and what's inspiring to me, and I'm glad that I'm friends with you, you know, around you is you're like, I'm just gonna start doing chess stuff. I remember back in the day, didn't you sell chess boards? Like, you got yeah. from China? Yeah, I, well, I started with just teaching chess to kids when I was in college, and then creating a system for that, and then hiring other people to go teach some of these things. But it really started with just teaching one chess class. And then it just grew from there. There was some demand, started doing it. And then, yeah, the, then I was like, oh, well, now we're teaching these classes. We need equipment. I'll buy equipment. I've got extra equipment. I'll sell the extra equipment. I need to build a website to sell the extra equipment. That, then that's the monkey bars, right? It was just one thing at a time, one little step at a time. No big grand vision. There was no big grand vision 20 years ago that I was going to be the CEO of the world's biggest chess company. Like It just didn't happen like that. Just one little step. Yeah, man. You know this. I mean, you're the same. You, you did it the same way. I know. I'm struggling, actually. Like, right before this meeting, uh, I was meeting with my business partner, and he put together a three-year plan for the company. And it made me feel a little insecure about myself because I was just like, yo, I do not think like that at all. And his plan, and, and I gave him total credit. I was like, yo, I, I shined light on him. I was like, yo, you are next gen. Like, the way he thought about the future of AppSumo and helping people and our products and the market, I was like, yo, this is insane. Like, I'm so impressed with you, Chad. And uh, I was like, oh, well, maybe my excellence is just finding these excellent people and just, just be around it. And like, I'll help execute on it. Yeah. And I think that's tr probably true. I had the same, it's very funny you said that. I had the very same experience recently where someone's like, Eric, let's sit down and do a five-year plan for chess.com. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. I just don't know how. And this was someone that I, was, I went to business school with. And he's like, no, we'll just do this together. It'll be easy. And so we started to do it. And it was not easy and it was not my nature and I didn't understand it and I didn't get it and I didn't like it. And we did all this work and then I would do like a high level and then he would like try and fill in all these details. I'm like, ah, I really hate this. Anyway, I came away with something very easy that I could say and th see in the distance. But then I'm like, that's all it is. And then I'm going to just go back to the day to day. But it was, you were like, oh, we're going to double our active users and we're going to double our revenue per users. And if two times two is four, so we'll grow our business four X over the lap over the next three to five years. Good. I, that's my three to five year plan in the bank. Boom, done. Now I'm on to execution. So that's how that's how I handled that problem. Hold on, I'm literally writing that down. That's a genius, like three simple. Because I think what you're saying is actually that was. A, I mean, see, that was beautiful right there, man. Like, what's the simple thing that you're setting up for yourself? Meaning specifically, you can just be like, I know I want to double in five years. I want to hit these other two KPIs. I had to reduce it to that. And other people will take that and then put a bunch of other steps in there or other types of things. But I just needed it to reduce to that. And maybe you and I think similarly in that way. 
I just needed something super simple to, to, to aim at. And now let me just hire the right people, put the right products, get the right vision, and then just like micro details of what we're doing. That's how I like to do it. I love it, man. I love it. But I, I think one of the things that's really inspiring that I think a lot of the audience is going to really resonate with is just take that first monkey bar. Yeah. When's the last time you've been on monkey bars, by the way? Probably more recently than <laughs> you. <laughs> so, no, but I was anyway. on monkey bars like a week ago. Oh, okay. Then yeah. A few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. I was like, yeah. I was at a gym and they had monkey bars. I was like, oh, it's pretty fun. Yeah. But I think the point that I was making for everyone out there is just get started today. Yeah. Like just go grab that monkey bar. And I think people, the ones that are great at the five-year, find someone who's, who's good at just grabbing the first bar if that's not your jam either. Yeah. I like to tell people this story, which is, you know, obviously where I'm at now, I run a company with a lot of people and it's global and it's big and blah, blah. But there was a time when I first started in college, I was a sophomore in college and I said, I'm going to start teaching chess to kids in after school programs. And I'm like, I guess I need a bank account. So I went to the bank and said, I'd like to open a business bank account. And they're like, well, are you a business? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> they're like, well, if you're a business, you would know you'd have like a business, like form that says you've created a business. I'm like, how do I do that? And they said, well, I get like at city hall. So I like literally drove to city hall and I went up to the person. I'm like, one business, please. And they're like, no, I mean, I didn't say that, but I'm like, I need to start a business. They're like, well, what kind of business? I'm like, I don't know. And so those were some of the first monkey bars, which is like, well, you can start a partnership or a sole proprietorship or an LLC. And then I'm like, well, I don't know. Let me look into these. And so it was literally, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how to open a bank account. I didn't know how to start a business. And so I just went and asked the people, well, at the end of that day, I had created a business and I had a business bank account. And I'm like, all right, well, I guess I'm a business. And then now I can just create some flyers and go do the thing and that's it. But it was like, you don't know. So just go, go and ask questions until you do the next one step. That's a story I think about often. It's like, I just didn't know. And that was okay. I think that's an advantage in a lot of life. It's just the willingness to go up and say, I don't know. Can you tell me? Yeah. For sure. And also not knowing the rules. Also. You know, like, I don't know what we can't do, so I'm just going to go and do what I think I, I'd want to do. And then that's how a lot of innovation happens versus like, well, you're not an expert. Right. James Dyson, I don't think was an expert. I started reading his book, but it's like, no, one, you don't need permission to, to create these things. Right. So let's talk about this global, international corporate conglomerate that you own not conglomerate i guess that is chess.com man like one the domain everyone probably goes bonkers yeah does it blow your mind how social chess is now like it think is. about like the, the the spectrum from like when in high school it was like oh they're in the library those right. guys which i was one of them i liked chess yeah so today like there's the alexandra boats i don't know how to pronounce her last okay. name yeah literally like a, a model who's a really talented chess player that has a huge following and then, you know, Netflix, obviously the show and stuff like that. It's completely changed. It's generationally changed. Uh, it came about a lot through, I look at the sequence like this. Chess has had hot moments in the past. Bobby Fischer on Spassky match in 72 and whatever. But then, then like, you know, the deep blue Kasparov thing. And that was kind of cool. But then really, like you said, it was just kind of like people who were into chess were into chess and that was it. And it happened in, you know, chess clubs and in certain online servers and things. But when COVID happened, this is how I view it. And I had a pretty front row seat on this, but COVID happened. People were stuck at home. Everybody started playing all sorts of games and puzzles. And so kind of like chess boards started coming out of closets and people started looking for things to do and all gaming went up. 
and including chess. But some then this kind of long game strategy that we had in working with Twitch to like make it a, something observable, well, all traffic to Twitch went up. And some for some reason, this connected dots of I'm at home playing chess or board games. And now there are streamers doing that. And then this crossover that happened where big time streamers who do play in all sorts of other games started to get into chess that created everybody getting into it on Twitch and then created pog champs. And so, the, and then, you know, you have people like Mr. Beast and all these, you know, mainstream major gamers and online personalities started getting into it. And it fundamentally changed how generationally it was viewed. Like I'm an old man. So I have kids in high school and college and junior high, you know, three years ago, none of their friends knew about chess or chess. They knew about chess, but none played and didn't know about chess.com. And so, you know, obviously when the conversation was your dad do for work, I think they, I think a lot of them, my kids just said like, he's an accountant or something. I don't remember, but they didn't tell them what they did. And then now my kids will come home and say, oh, like a kid in my class got in trouble for playing on chess.com. And my other kid will say, oh, there was like three kids in my class were playing chess.com on their laptops during class. And like, it has changed generationally. And my friends will tell me, oh, my, you know, my son just realized that I know you and that you're the CEO of chess.com. And like, they're, you know, they're like, that's so cool. Whereas like three years ago, that would have been not cool. So it's been, it's changed at the youth level of, you know, people who are in that. And then on the other side, the Queen's Gambit, which, you know, again, kind of did, was not in our hands whatsoever, came in and reminded all the, the, the gen, other generation, including some overlap there, but like, hey, chess is interesting. And that has not let up. And so a bunch of factors outside of our control have generationally changed how people feel about chess. And it's changed on YouTube. It's changed on Twitch. It's changed on social media. It's changed on what time people spend on their apps. Anyway, sorry, the one thing I didn't mention is the media got excited about this growth of chess online and chessboard selling out and chess on Twitch and started telling stories about that. And as they told the story, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, chess is getting big. Well, when you write a story about how chess is getting big, the media was just fanning the flames and creating their own thing. So it was like one thing after another over the last two years just has fanned the flame and chess is like completely different game now. And I obviously I'm benefiting as a business owner and benefiting as the steward of a community and a game, but I'm also benefiting as a fan and it's just an awesome time. Where do we begin with chess.com? I mean, coming from yourself, I remember playing it, you know, years ago. I've been subscribed for a long time. I'd actually, can I ask you, I'm going to ask a selfish question. I burned out. I haven't played in about six months. I think we talked about this a little bit during uh, disc golf. I'm not guilting myself this time, which I did last last time I stopped. Yeah. How does that work with people, you know, with hobbies and skills? Because everyone, you know, wants to master stuff or do really well. I'm yeah. you know, squash, which is one of my new sports. Yeah. What's your take on that? We do an exit survey sometimes on chess.com. We're dormant people and we say... Hey, we haven't seen you in, you know, a couple months. Like, why'd you stop visiting chess.com or using the app? And there were so many responses because, you know, people churn. And we did like a word count. And the word count, basically, when you took all the words of the top 10 words and stuck them together, was basically like, I don't have time right now. And we have come to accept that chess is something that goes in and out of people's lives. It comes in, it goes out, it comes in, it goes out. And we accept that and we understand that it does that for me too. Sometimes I'm more into it. Sometimes I'm less into it. And obviously I work, so it's, 
I have a baseline that's higher. But we realize that it comes in and out of people's lives. But we also realize that that's a beautiful thing because when you step away from the game, you step away from it and can come back to it in the same place. Whereas with other games, like I was a Hearthstone player for a while. I stepped away for a time. I wanted to go back. I didn't know any of the cards. I didn't know, have any of the things. I hadn't kept up with it. Or maybe League of Legends, like the game, it's awesome because it grows and evolves. But if you step away for a time, it's very hard to get back into it. But chess is beautiful because you can step away and then you can step back into it when you're ready. And it's just already there for you kind of the way it was. So we've come to accept that cycle. And so don't, don't beat yourself up about it. Chess will be there when you're ready to return. It's kind of like our friendship. Like if we don't talk, it's still there. Yeah. And then we get back, we hit some disc golf up and have a good time. That's right. One thing that you, you triggered, and I'm curious to your approach, is that you know, a lot of people want to learn how to learn. And you have millions of data points, millions of people with billions of data points of how mastery is created. So I'm curious what you've observed around that. Like, how does someone become a master with chess, but also then how to, how, you know, maybe parallel that to like other skills people want to do well? Because I think you've seen a lot of people and you could see their rating. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm curious what you've kind of observed or learned from that. I have a challenging take on this, which is people want to believe that there is a magic tool that will help them improve. Whereas the reality is what tool you use is very secondary to the habits that you have and the drive that you have to do it. And that's unfortunate because it puts a much more responsibility on the individual to want to do it and have to do it rather than putting the responsibility on the tool or the product. It hurts me to say that because obviously we've built a tool. I like the tool. And some tools are easier to use than others. But in general, learning is a function of drive and habit, not tools. So in any skill. Yeah. In any skill, there are many tools, many avenues. You could probably become a national master straight off of just YouTube and your chessboard. If you spent the time on it, you maybe could get there a little faster with certain tools or training programs or other things, but it's also not a requirement. We try to make the easiest tools possible, but what we can't program in and Duolingo does a great job of this. They can kind of guilt you into not disappointing the owl so that you'll make sure you do the thing every day, but they're just trying to fix your habits. It's not, again, it's less about what tool they have and more about the habit. And that's not to say Duolingo is like the perfect language teaching tool because on its own, it's not sufficient either because that's not exactly how you learn language, but it does a good job helping you learn the habits. And chess, we try to do that, but at the end of the day, learning something new requires hard work and people are a little bit opposed to doing the hard work in general. Is there anything else you've seen for people? I mean, I think one thing that, you know, tying back to what we talked about earlier is also the fact that you put in your workouts six days a week, when you have to put the workouts in the chessboard or any skill you want to be better at, like put the work in. Right. I'm not currently getting better at chess because I am not putting in the work. I enjoy playing it. And that's the other thing I've come to accept. I also just come to accept that I enjoy playing it. And sometimes I like watching it more than I even like playing it because I get to hear from really brilliant people and see what they're thinking. And I get to play along and no responsibility. So, and that's also okay. But if I really wanted to get better, I certainly know what I would do. And it's work. And I don't have time for that right now. I need something sexy. Do you have like a pill? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. One thing I want to cover, we got about like five minutes. You texted me uh, months ago 
And you said your company literally is successful doing the opposite of Silicon Valley. I want to unpack that because I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, one, there's nothing wrong. Silicon Valley is one playbook of how to run a, a company or, or do it. But I think there's others and I like showcasing that. Plus, I love your business. Thanks. What made you got excited to send that? And, and, and what are some of the, the themes there? Well, it was interesting because I had a fr- another friend who was talking to me about what we did at chess.com. And I wrote out a long list of things that we did, like some of the steps and decisions we took. And then as I looked at it, I, I like had this weird realization like, oh, we did a lot of different stuff. And you have to remember when I started chess.com, it was like, you know, kind of mid 2004, 2005. And I was in Silicon Valley going to business school right there on Sand Hill Road. And all my classmates were coming out of business school and all the metrics of success, what was measured among my peer group was how quickly did you raise money from which VCs, you know, what, how big is your office and how many employees do you have? And what was your post-money valuation? And there was all these metrics of success indicators at the time. And like, you know, in my kind of business school peer group, meanwhile, I was this dork, like sitting in a yurt in a backyard in Menlo Park, like with one developer in Poland and working with my friend, you know? And so it was not the successful story. Now, now you fast forward and, you know, we didn't ever get an office. We hired everybody remotely. We couldn't afford Silicon Valley talent or, you know, my co-founder wasn't a machine learning expert from MIT. And, you know, we didn't go into a big market to disrupt and, we didn't raise any money. Everybody said no, and we bootstrapped it. And the other thing is we started charging money for our service right away. Well, pretty, pretty soon. We, we had been profitable for more than 10 years. We didn't grow faster than we had revenue for. So we did all these things. And then now what's really interesting is you have these stories now, 15 years later, that this type of bootstrapped company, whether it's like MailChimp or whether it's, uh, there's a whole bunch of other ones that like had, you know, pointing to yourself. Yeah, you know this, like there's now I have a bunch of my, these same classmates and, you know, peers who were like, oh, you know, now there's this whole kind of like current in vogue reverence for the bootstrapped company. Whereas at the time it was all about the venture backed quick company where at the end of the day, you know, I have a bunch of friends who sold their companies and the investors got most of the money or, you know, they regret having raised a final round and different things. So anyway, I guess my point in sending that to you was like, like you said, there's a lot of different ways to run a company and there's something really, really neat about doing it uh, your own way and figuring out what works best for you. And maybe that means very Silicon Valley style. Maybe it means very bootstrapped. Maybe it means a hybrid of those. Man, I have so much stuff in there. I love that. I mean, I think kind of your... Some of the messages I love to hear about you is that there's fundamentals that are just universal. And then I think the other part of that fundamental is just, you know, what is it that you really want? I really want, you want, and the people want, and you know, are you, at the end of the day, are you willing to put in the work to get it? Drive yeah. and have it. Yeah. I love it, dude. I love that. Uh, selfishly, I have a few things I wanted to understand better. You know, we have a hybrid company and just as an example, we hit a revenue goal and now half the team's in Austin. So we're like, oh, we're going to have a celebration party. And someone's like, well, what about half the team that's not here? And then, so I was like, oh, well, let's send them $55, which is our, our goal. We wanted to hit this 55 number. So I was like, let's send $55 and everyone can get themselves a dinner. And someone's like, well, that's not thoughtful enough. Okay, 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 more thought. Uh, let's get them a gift. What kind of gift? You guys decide. This gift, sounds good. And it was just a really interesting experience, uh, you know, as we're, you know, moving forward in the world and trying to figure out how we're gonna be as a company, how we wanna be. 
And so, you know, I think you've, you've experienced it. And I think you have a lot of wisdom in that. I'd be curious how you've grown and successfully led remotely, you know, some tips and tricks or not even tricks, just tips and strategies that, that you find effective. Well, kind of around that, we have a profit share that we do, which is literally just based on how long you've been at the company. So we take a percentage of our profits, we put it into a pool, then we take everybody at the company, how long they've been there, how many months, divide it all out, and how long you've been at the company, you get a share of that profit share that we put aside. So that's something that we do. Uh, The other thing in terms of like, we have an office in Utah, but it's more like because we a bunch of people moved here. And so there's a small group of us here. And I, I'm sure that there's a little bit of missing out feelings now that we've done that because we never did that for the first 15 years. And I try to be sensitive to that. But I also don't go into the office. I wasn't there today. I, I, you know, I go in there a few days a week. The other thing we do is we do a global meetup. So everybody's invited for one week. In fact, in three weeks, we're all going to Dominican Republic and everybody's meeting up and we're going to play soccer on the beach and have a good time and maybe do some talk, work talk, maybe not. Uh, it's going to be fun. So that's one thing that's worked. And we've done that every year, minus last year for COVID. What else do you guys do that helps you run a remote company? Well, we're very fortunate that we're in a passion-driven thing. There's a lot. Chess, the passion for chess covers a whole lot of otherwise potential dysfunction because people are drawn to the game and they're passionate about it. And a lot of people just really love their job. And we have a really great culture around the game, around positivity, you know, all those things you can say. And and, and culture is such a big word. It means so many things. But I really believe our company culture of whether it's acceptance or whether it's focused on the game of chess or whatever it is, I don't know totally how to explain it. But we hire people attracted to that culture. We keep it going. And it's self-sustaining in a great way. And frankly, it would probably take somebody from the outside to come in and look at it and parse it out to really understand it. Because being inside of it, I'm not actually sure I can see what it is. Eamon, who's been our, who was our previous CEO, is in all, almost all of my meetings lately. And so it's amazing to have this guy who's like watching everything we do and who's like, okay, do that better. Stop doing that. Let's work on that. And it's just like almost a superpower. That's awesome. That someone can do that. Because he's helping you as you're setting culture, right? Like the things that come out of your mouth aren't just directions, but they're also the culture building elements. 100%. How you say it. That's a lot of responsibility. You're CEO of chess.com still, yes? Yes. Isn't that tough? It's actually very funny. I was watching, uh, for those who know, Levy Rosman's a a chess streamer. He was streaming like three days ago. And I was just watching for fun because I enjoy watching Levy. I was also watching Hikaru as he was doing some crazy madness. But I was watching Levy and someone put into chat like, Levy, do you wish you were CEO of chess.com? And I'm watching while this is going on. And Levy's like, answering on air. He's like, absolutely not. And I immediately chat into Twitch chat. And my name is, you know, Eric Chess Comedy knows who I am. I'm like, Levy, I don't even want to be CEO of chess.com. And he sees that and he reads it and he laughs. But uh, there's days that are great. And then there's days where I wish, wish I weren't. It's a really hard job. And, and it's also a job that's, that when you say it's a hard job, you sound like an asshole because oh it God, sounds like yes. a great job. Yes. But Everyone who is a CEO knows that this is the the worst possible thing to say is like being CEO is so hard. And everyone's like, you know, thinks you're terrible for saying that. But like, it's honestly true. It's hard. It's hard. And it's the best job. I mean, it's hard and rewarding at the same time. It's like, dude, if any job, it's like so amazing, but it's also challenging in a good way. Yeah. Oh, man. What a ride. Yeah. Good seeing you. Do you want me to promote when I put this out there? Chess.com. Do you have any other causes? Do you have like charities? Do you have events? Do you have anything else you want me to, to shout out? Just 
kindness and empathy, man. Like, that's it. Can't wait to see you again, dude. I got to move to Utah. Come on out anytime. All right, buddy. Good seeing you, man. Okay. Later. That is a wrap. I hope you love the episode as much as I did making it with Eric. Make sure to give Eric some love at chess.com or you can look him up on the interwebs. That's Eric Alabest. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, dog, let's go watch some Queen's Gambit together. And before you go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan. Let me know what you thought of this episode. Two quick outro plug things. Number one, youtube.com slash okdork. Make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Y'all know what to do. And secondly, I want to give a shout out to my producer, Jeremy's podcast. It's Backstage Careers. So to run this show, there's a bunch of people behind the scenes that are amazing. And Jeremy actually interviews a lot of other people that are behind the scenes of some of the biggest names out there, like Naval, Gary Vee, Tom Bilyeu, Jesse Itzler. You get the idea. Check it out, backstagecareers.com or type in Backstage Careers to anywhere you listen to a podcast. Finally, a couple shout outs to my amazing team. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these podcasts. Thank you to Mitchell, Jeremy, George, Hubert, Sasa, Jen, and Cam from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. And finally, I to Jess and Kevin Montero at AppSumo. Thank you for a record-breaking partner payout. They have gone to perfect partner payouts. No misses on the first of the month. Y'all make us look great. And partners are happy to get paid and live their dream lives. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. <laughs> What's your favorite chess piece? <laughs> <laughs>